I can't think of the fucking name, but hold on. Uh, oh, the puckle gun. The, the puckle bubble, gun. The puckle gun? Yeah, the puckle, puckle gun? gun. Look up puckle. the puckle gun. Like P P U. Yeah, P U C K E gun. Uh, it was the it was a primitive crew served manually operated flintlock revolver patented in 1718 by James Puckle, a uh, British inventor, lawyer, and writer. Uh, it was one of the earliest weapons to be referred to as a machine gun. And let's go down through here. Uh, two versions uh, that he designed. Uh, one was intended for use against Christian enemies, fired conventional round bullets, while the second was designed to be used against the Muslim Turks, which fired square bullets. The square bullets were considered to be more damaging. They would, according to the patent, convince the Turks of the benefits of Christian civilization. Sounds like what? he was an idiot. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Being like, we I will should, make square bullets. That is aerodynamic. That I sounds should, correct. I should you not. It, uh, this comes directly from the Wikipedia for the Puckle Gun. I mean, uh, I'm looking at it, but then again, like, uh, you know. says the uh, weapon was reported as able to fire shot with each discharging or each discharge containing 16 musket balls. Well, the thing to remember, though, is that we have the Maxim gun, and they do not. I mean, I just think it's hilarious that this dude went, what can I do to really fuck somebody up? Let's shoot him with a square. Let's do it. <laughs> On that note... Well, you know what? You know what could be considered like a, a continuation of this? Would be a Sea Whiz. Which is often mounted on, um, you know, like Navy ships and stuff like that to deal with uh, anti-aircraft. Okay. Much like some Pearl Harbor might have benefited from some seaways. It's a seaways. Like, what does it do? I'm pretty sure they had, you know, 40 you know millimeter and you know, like, all, their, all their deck guns. So I think the, they... The Phalanx seaways? No, I literally have no idea what that is. Close-in weapon system. It is... Um, rate of fire uh, is 3,000 rounds a minute. Uh, block 1A slash 1B is 4,000 rounds a minute. It is fires 20 by 102 millimeter uh, rounds, and is it, it is like good at taking out, like, yeah, it's just it's like a, just a giant Gatling gun. Like, yeah, yeah, 20, I, I would call it a 20 millimeter auto cannon. I didn't realize it had a nickname of the C. Okay. Yeah, close in oh. weapon systems. Does it go? Um, that ties yes, it, it goes. Birds of the day to our topic uh, of Pearl Harbor. We're talking Pearl Harbor that those things were not there. No, so they most certainly not. But they could have been very helpful. Been there was the puckle gun because it was designed to be used on ships. So I mean, Pearl Harbor could have had puckle guns shooting square bullets at Muslim Turks. But I mean, well, we there wasn't any Muslim Turks in the sky. Yeah. It was the Japanese. So it would have been round bullets. I mean, Shintoism. They still could have had puckle guns. On December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Anyways, I am your host Cody, joined by your your actual host, who is going to be doing all the talking today about Pearl Harbor. Jordan. Hey. And, and then, that's all you guys. Yes. And then and then we have Dalton over here that's adding just peanut gallery commentary. Uh, yeah, so our topic <laughs> for today is Pearl Harbor and the conspiracy theory 
about whether or not the United States knew about it and to what extent they knew about it before it actually happened. Pseudo false, uh, not really a false flag per se, but potential. Yeah, oh, potentially. I, potentially. I'm hearing. I'm hearing. Um, what's his bucket in the background now? Just being like false flag operation. I, w- I would like to add an alleged allegedly to this. We're not <laughs> claiming that it is. Also, a false flag. Oh no, no, I'm not claiming it's a false flag. I am claiming that they knew about it. Also, remember, we are three assholes who are entitled to our opinions, and we also have no money. So please don't sue us. I also don't think Franklin Roosevelt has the capacity to sue us for libel at this point. Yeah, but I think the U.S. government could. Actually, I listened to a uh, different video on YouTube the other day about how one pope dug up another pope nine months after he had died to have him stand trial for crime. So, I mean, technically they could dig him up to stand trial against us. Tell you what, if the U.S. government wants to dig up FDR's body just to sue us for libel... You know what? I'm good with that. I want to be part of that court case. I want to be in the books. Please let me let us do that. I, I want that. That's a thing that needs to happen. Uh, so Joe Biden, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, yes, please take up FDR and set his bones on trial for us. That would that would bring us great joy. Dude, that would be that would be hilarious. All right, Jordan. So how did it start oh, us oh, out? No, time out, time out. What if they had FDR's bones, but then hired like a team of marionettes? Just to like attach strings to him, and then like would sit there and like cross his legs, and then like have his head resting on his hands and just staring at us, like when we're up on the stand talking about this podcast. Actually, would they be allowed to stand him up? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. When this happened in real life, like I think this was in the eight hundreds. Um, I, I forget the exact date, so I apologize for not having that information. But when this actually happened, when a pope raised another pope you know and had him stand trial for his crimes after nine months after he had passed away they legitimately gave him a representative so to speak for him obviously because he was dead and he couldn't speak uh but the thing about that was is that the representative was in the um living pope's pocket so you know he just he gave the answers that he was required to give Uh, but they did assign him a representative anyways Okay. Oh, so what I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us a little bit of background on the prelude to World War II, just to give us some idea of what led us to the event of Pearl Harbor. Are you talking about? Um, are you talking about like the anti-war sentiment among the United States? No, I think that's before a World War thing. II. No, okay. I'm talking about more global speaking. Like, why, why the Japanese want to bomb Pearl Harbor would be my, my thing. Because but most people don't realize that World War II did not start in December of 1941, nor did it start in August of 1939. It depends on how you look at the, the dates, but some historians believe World War II actually started in, back in 1937 when the Japanese actually created a false flag attack at the Marco Polo Bridge incident in order to declare war on China. So Now, for us not familiar with the Marco Polo Bridge incident, please inform us. I'm glad you brought that up, because I, I'm not familiar with it either. 
I know very little about like the Japanese, like prior to the U.S. involvement um, in the war in the Pacific, I know very little about the Japanese World War II kind of lead up to it. So this is this is new for me. Yeah. So essentially in, uh, I believe it was July of 1937. Um, there, well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll jump back a little bit in 1931, the Japanese invaded Manchuria, which is modern day North, Northern China. Um, so if you, I'm thinking like if you're looking at Korea, the Korean Peninsula, the area of China north of North Korea was Manchuria prior to 1931. Okay. Um, the Japanese invaded, put in a puppet leader, um, which actually is the legitimate last king of China, and created Manchu Kuo. Sounds a lot, a lot like what the CIA did in the uh, 1900s. Like yeah. late 1900s. <laughs> mm-hmm. And probably currently. Yeah, probably currently. So, so the Japanese had a very large section of mainland Asia under their control with a direct border to China. Um, one of these borders was called the Marco Polo Bridge, which is in Peking, around Peking, China. And by that point... The Japanese and Chinese had some very, very tense moments already. It was pretty clear that Japan wanted to become the pseudo-ruler of the Asian sphere in the world. So early in the morning on July the 8th, the Japanese tried to speak and to conduct negotiations with the Chinese who enter the town of Peking you know, under, you know, non-war authority. When these negotiations broke down, both sides began to move a lot of troops into the area. Um, the Chinese rushed in a full division into the area, and then about an hour or so after that, um, the Chinese army opened fire on the Japanese army and attacked them at the Marco Polo Bridge, all under the guise before this of the Japanese wanting to meet peacefully to enter the town of Peking. So this small little border conflict is what escalated the Japanese into a full-on invasion of mainland China. Hmm. Okay, so it was essentially uh, not too dissimilar to Germany's like invasion of Poland. No, it's not like they dressed up Poles, Germans in Polish uniforms and attacked their own radio tower. Right. It was more like a small little skirmish that the Japanese used to escalate a larger conflict. It was it was that justification, not not full false flag, but just like we're gonna poke and then wait for you to poke back. Yeah, well, then we're gonna use that as justification to poke harder. So this occurred back in 1936. So 1936 was the beginning of pretty much full scale hostilities in the Asian theater. Now, mind you, this was this was prior to the Japanese allying with the Axis powers, um, or even Germany invading Poland. This was a full three years before that even happened. This was the what was it? I'm probably going to butcher it. The Sino Sino or the Sino yeah, War or the, something like that. The Second Sino-Japanese War. That's what it was. Yes. Yep. Which was a subset of World War II. It just depends on how you categorize it. If it actually started World War II or if the Second Sino-Japanese War folded into World War II after 
um, August of 1939. I think it folded into you, but that's just me. I think that was going to happen regardless of whether World War II happened or not. Yes. So there are also some other... So this is also the start of, even before this, but the start of the U.S. and Japan having some pretty pretty tense moments. Because the United States had a lot of overseas territories that they had acquired um, during the um, Spanish-American War and the Guano Islands Act, which happened pretty much before this. Also, I just want to point out Guano Islands, just poop islands. Pretty much, yeah. The poop islands. <laughs> Essentially, the United States wrote a law stating that all these islands that nobody owned, that nobody lived on there, were theirs. And too bad. But Just... the islands that were occupied by people, the Philippines was a territory of the United States. Um, Midway Island, Guam. Um, Midway Island? It's almost like that one's going to be important at some point. Right, and Guam. And Guam. Um, and Philippines, I guess, so all of them. Yeah. So well, the U.S. had the U.S. had interests, interests in uh, in the uh, Pacific, and Japan also because we couldn't get territories like in Africa and all these other places where like England had territories in Africa and India right. and stuff like that. We didn't have that. We never much like Germany, which is part of what tied into like World War One was just that Germany was so locked they didn't have any colonies like pretty much every other European power. That pretty much was one of the biggest factors about World War One. Everybody knew of when it started it was going to come out of, quote, the damn Balkans. So um, right. if you want World War One, highly recommend um, Hardcore History. Um, he's got like a like two-hour episode, ten-episode series um, on just World War One and the lead-up. Fantastic. Yes, and the Great War uh, on YouTube is also very good. Yes. Um, so, Japan needs oil. Japan is a very naval, naval-focused power, similar to Great Britain, but in the Pacific. But they need oil to keep their their juggernaut running, especially fighting in the very rugged, mountainous terrain of China. You need you need that for logistics. The U.S. wanted to maintain their overseas territories and needed to keep Japan in check. So they started to put certain um what do you what do you call embargoes. them? Embargoes. Embargoes yes. on Japan, especially with it comes to oil. These would get progressively worse as it went on. And then we come up in August of nineteen thirty nine, which sparked World War Two in Europe with the German invasion of Poland. By this point, the U.S. is also not involved directly in the war, but they are providing services, goods, merchant marines, shipping to the Allied powers. Bases for battleships, if you remember your history books, kids. Yes. And there's also been a few actual military incidents with Japan before this, including the USS Panay incident, which occurred in late 1937, where the Japanese actually fired on a United States gunboat, killing uh, a handful of U.S. Navy uh, Navy men and wounding, I think, 50 or so. But the governments were able to smooth it out without bringing on a general engage, general war 
mainly because the United States was still stuck in their isolationist ways from post World War One. Yes, America should not be involved in Europe's wars, and that's essentially the philosophy that it took. That goes back to the Founding Fathers just being like, no, America should not be involved in Europe's wars. Let them deal with their stuff. A lot of people don't realize that they, when you think of World War II, especially from a home front perspective, the first thing you think about is, you know, Rosie the Riveter, yeah. you know, war bond signs. And Buy war bonds. You know, give up all your metal and stuff for, for war. But prior to actually. Put pancake the US, batter on your legs so that way you don't have to buy pantyhose. Right. So prior to the U.S. actually getting involved in World War II, most of the population was very anti anti war. Did oh, yeah. not want to get involved. Um, you know, America first as a as a group is is kind of been talked about recently but it's actually been around before uh, been around for a, a long time oh yeah there was a huge america first policy and group that occurred from the late 1910s up until uh the 1940s in the united states where the actual idea was no matter what we do, everything we do must be to promote American interests. And at this point, getting involved in the Pacific, getting involved in Europe, was not good. This, and this is where I, we're going to get into the the topic at hand. It's no secret that Roosevelt wanted to get involved in the European theater. He wanted to help out the English. He wanted to help out the French. And he was doing it the best he can with Lindley's agreements, with you know using United States Navy to patrol our shores, but also protecting shipping. Um, you know, the, he had he had been planning for it for quite some time, but Congress was not on board, if I remember correctly. They were very much like not wanting to get involved, very much still with the isolation policy. Yes, and there was a lot of big names, and again, like you said, most of Americans did not want to get involved, especially after World War One, and being like, we just sent our boys to die for, like, no reason. So we get to the the fall of 1941. So at this point, World War II's actually been going on for uh, all, uh, nearly two full, actually, two full years. This is from, the Battle of Britain era, essentially. Yes, this was um, because the invasion of Poland was in August of 39, then you had the the uh, Fitzkrieg, if you call it, in the winter of 1939 into the spring of 1940. And then you had the, Dunkirk and stuff like that around then, the too. The invasion of France was in the spring of 1940. Um, you also had the invasion of Scandinavia, Norway, Denmark occurred in the summer of 1940. And by that point, France has fallen. Uh, Scandinavia has fallen. The Atlantic Wall is being constructed. Britain is being bombed on a nightly basis, essentially. And the Germans are trying to bomb the English into submission. And also, I think they're also invading the Balkans at this point, too. And they were starting to push on the Russian border, I do believe, around this time. Uh, the so the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact had been signed and agreed to, so they had partitioned Poland at this point. Um, the 
actual uh, the invasion of the USSR wasn't until in June of 1941. Yeah. Okay. So, so it, right before the U.S. got involved. So if we're looking at the fall is right when of they start pushing. One is the very beginning of Operation Barbarossa. Barbarossa, yeah. And the height of the Battle of Britain. So switching back over to the oh, quick the, quick thing actually actually Operation Barbarossa went from June twenty second, nineteen forty one, and ended uh, officially on December fifth, nineteen forty one. So. Just before Pearl Harbor, Operation Barbarossa technically in, ended, even though still the invasion of Soviet Russia was was going on at that point in time. Correct, because uh, that whole theater didn't until the very end. No, um, the very very bitter end. So we're in the Pacific. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like you could call Operation Barbarossa one of Germany's biggest mistakes of World War II. Um, because, I mean, there, there's there been countless moments throughout history where everybody knows to not invade Russia before winter. <laughs> I mean, don't invade Russia, period. Like, not unless, like, I know, like, you know, back back in the adage, like, the Japanese um, were always like, we don't really want to invade mainland U.S. because there will be, like, a rifle behind every blade of grass, but there's literally a rifle behind every building every window in russia the entire population comes out to just murder you and, in the and winter, they really <laughs> really take their murdering germans very fucking seriously yeah we can get into a whole i think separate podcast i on just that decision in of itself oh yeah in, was, in my choice. opinion there was there was absolutely no way Nazi Germany would not have invaded Russia. It was going to happen. It was going to happen, but that was also going to be the beginning of the end. Yes, it was going to happen. It was a mixture of hubris, a mixture of the Nazi ideology, from all of it. I absolutely agree with you. I just, you can point to a lot of factors that caused Germany to lose the war. And I mean, I'm happy Germany lost the war, but at the same time, like if you're talking about one specific factor that like all of World War II teetered on, it was Germany deciding to invade Russia. Like that was literally the single worst decision of the war. Well, right. if they didn't, I think Russia would have pushed on Germany. Like because... I mean, Stalin, you know, wouldn't have given given a damn well, about his alliance Stalin, for very long. Stalin was actually very, very in favor of the Soviet German pact, the pact of steel. I think, yeah, I think it's pact of steel. Um, yeah, but he also, and when, you know, when his favoritism on a coin, like basically, and when Hitler broke that pact, he locked himself away in his dacha for two full weeks and was inconsolable, would not come out and do anything. One of the biggest reasons why the Russians had lost so bad in the very beginning of Barbarossa is one because of the Great Purge and two because they had no leadership in that first two week period because Stalin was so distraught over the fact that Hitler had betrayed him. Well anyway, I, could, I could go we're, on we're, probably, we're getting off topic. Hold on, I could do on a six hour rant on just why the Great Purge was a fucking awful idea and had I mean, it not I happened. Any purges of people is a bad idea. Agreed, but had it not happened 
Russia probably would have just steamrolled the Third Reich, like, very quickly. Again, though, I mean, I did not know that point about uh, Stalin being so upset about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I was one of those people that, based on everything I knew, thought Stalin basically waited for his moment and then said, fuck your alliance, and no. did, he, did whatever Stalin he did. Was, he was not Stalin for time. Boom. <laughs> But anyway, he actually was he he was woefully <laughs> underprepared to fight a war with Germany and he knew oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um what they lacked in production. Yeah, yeah, jump back on top just just to, yes. to wrap everything up. So if we're looking at the state of the world in the fall of 1941, you have Germany opening up two fronts. Well, the western front is fairly stable with the incessant bombing of England and the eastern front is going very very well for the Germans at this point. Well, partially already quick, quick interjection. Partially the Russian doctrine during that time too, um, was essentially like slash and burn. They were just allowing the rush or not the Russians, but the Germans to take ground, but they were burning fields of crops as they left and right. were taking what they could burning what they could. They couldn't. So machinery and you spare parts that they could have used crops that they could have used to feed their troops everything they were banking on winter coming and they were burning everything on the way back yeah because just like you said um, you know the analogy between america and russia like yeah both places like you know have that analogy of everybody fighting for their country and everything but the one thing the u.s doesn't have is the russian winners i mean i would also say they don't have the type of people that the russian winters brew but yeah, I yeah, mean, like, the, the it, Russians it, it, themselves is thousands of years of getting pretty much kicked by most people in the world. So they, still they to this strong... day, if you go to Russia and you are smiling, they know you're not Russian. I I don't know. I just think that the decision to invade Russia, especially from June into December into the winter, was just horribly miscalculated because the Russian winners will kill you more than anybody with a rifle oh agreed well, hitler also thought that he would have taken moscow before the winter yeah he very damn it, it was a very it was a very gross miscalculation but again but we're not a history podcast <laughs> we're also not a russian civic podcast uh, <laughs> so that's the situation in europe situation in the pacific the united states is still not involved the japanese have I believe at this point I've already taken Nanking and are pushing toward uh, Beijing. Not already taken at this point. More crimes as they go. But the issue with the the issue the Japanese face is they are woefully low on oil supplies. And if I'm not mistaken, by this point in the war, they have sufficient reserves of oil to last one year. Oh, that's not much. It's not much no. when you have a full-fledged navy you have to support. Yeah, because if if you have a year of oil to essentially support your navy, that means all that supplies that you've built up, every rifle, every bullet, every uniform, every bayonet, doesn't matter. Like, you have one year to get it where it needs to go. And that's they it. Had, they really had two choices. They either had to pull back from their invasion of China and essentially give the land back to the Chinese warlords who were in charge and stop their 
movement into the Pacific theater, or they had to find a way to get the United States to lift their oil embargoes, which leads us into Pearl Harbor, which was Japanese, the Japanese's decision to strike quickly and fast at what they thought was a woefully underprepared United States military and hit them hard enough that their America first and their anti-war government groups would sue the government for immediate peace with the Japanese. Well, and they were also hoping to take out the U.S. carriers, if I remember right, too. Yeah, that, that would be their... Their goal would be to cripple the Pacific fleet. That way, the United States would not want to engage in any kind of a war in the Pacific, and couldn't, and they wouldn't have the strength to enforce any kind of embargo. Actually, to counter Cody's point, they mainly focused on battleships because Navy doctrine at that time was entirely focused on warships, not so much carrier operations. Uh, it wasn't till later in the war that, because anyway. so many battleships were destroyed, uh, that the U.S. started to focus their doctrine on, uh, you know, carriers, naval air power naval air power through carriers uh and then the japanese kind of shifted focus as well to do that um, because they had kind of initiated that whole thing with pearl harbor and world war ii um was the turning point for naval uh war doctrine to shift away from battleships with large guns to how many planes can you fit on a deck well yeah because your battleship doesn't mean a whole lot if you can drop a torpedo from a yeah, plane absolutely. and like a little biplane British swordfish flying through the air, dropping an aerial torpedo on you and just sending your battleship to hell doesn't really make a difference. The first That's actual cool. battle that yeah, was only airplane focused in the Navy was Midway yep. yeah. in uh, the summer of 42. So we were still pretty... I wouldn't say far. It's only about six to eight months, but still pretty far ahead from what you said, that mindset changing. The main reason why Midway was predominantly aircraft focused through aircraft carriers was because the Japanese had taken, you know, and targeted the majority of our battleships at Pearl Harbor um, to take out what was, you know, our power at that time. And then the powers to be in the U.S. government saw how well the Battle of Midway went with using our planes and decided to, that was the initiation of, of the shift of focus of naval doctrine at that time. Yes. Fun, fun quick interjection about Pearl Harbor. Uh, Dalton I's great-grandfather was actually a PT boat captain at uh, nice. Pearl Harbor. So... We're, now we're talking about Roosevelt. So Roosevelt, we know, needed a way to get into World War II. And he needed to come as not the aggressor. So he needed to find a way to enter World War II on the side of the Allies without being the one to fire the first shot. So a lot of the conspiracy theories surrounding how much, essentially, what did Roosevelt know and when did he know it, to quote a you know, Nixon scandal quote. To, to, to show that he wasn't a crook? Yes. Okay. Was, <laughs> what, exact, how, what exactly did Roosevelt want to get done? Did he know where it was going to happen? And if he did, how much warning did he give? The biggest, to me, the biggest... Um, his issue with all of this is if he did know, did he willingly let American servicemen die 
to get this aim. Well, and if he did, that's going to change a lot of public perception of FDR, um, right. if that is the case. Because there's a lot of people who still think of him as one of the better presidents in modern history. Right, which I think, I mean, even depending on whether or not he knew and whether or not how much he knew, I don't think tarnishes his ability as a wartime leader during World War II. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go straight out there and say that, like, it, I don't have any sources for it at the moment. I could certainly look for them, um, but for years, being kind of a, a war buff, you know, liking the history of you know the conflicts and things, I, I've heard for years that there was advanced knowledge that we had intercepted and you know broke codes, uh, sighting you know, the Japanese moving their fleet or fleet uh, towards Pearl Harbor with the intent to attack. Um, and that information had been passed up the chain and nobody had acted on it because they thought it was too um, unlikely. They they thought it was, you know, a, a one in a million chance that that would actually, you know, happen. So they, they basically kind of brushed it under the rug as too unlikely to, to be realistic. Yeah, that's one of the big, pieces of evidence that people cite is the breaking of the codes and actually knowing exactly where they were going to attack. Uh, the other thing that I remember hearing about Pearl Harbor, and I don't know, I don't remember what their conclusion on this was, but was the idea that there was a Japanese midget sub that had actually entered the harbor and had torpedoed a couple ships as well. They, well, I, they the actually story, found the... So one of the stories is that a destroyer fired upon and sunk a mm -hmm. Japanese midget sub just outside the harbor, but it was never verified. But it's actually just recently in the past four or five years, they actually found that midget sub. Oh, did they? Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's exactly what I was starting to bring up, Jordan. Uh, I, I was going to reference that exact point that it, it hadn't made it into the harbor and torpedoed any ships. Uh, everything that I, I've ever read or heard was that it was found outside of the harbor because they had um, what basically equivalent of like lar large nets uh, to keep subs from entering the harbor. Um, and it was found outside the harbor beyond the nets uh, by a patrolling, you know, U.S. warship. I think it was the USS stuff. Kid, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's interesting, like, when we think about Pearl Harbor, right? Like, just as a, a, you know, as Americans and, and as a collective narrative, we tend to view it as a bunch of ships docked in a, in a harbor, getting bombed and torpedoed by, you know, Japanese zeros, big old meatballs on the wings, strafing runs on the grounds and stuff like that. We don't think about these other details. And it's it's interesting how much information, even though it was in the 19... 41 well not it was in the night it was 1941 which i mean it has been a while ago but still like there's people alive who remember it and just how many details have been lost to history right i mean a lot but i mean the fact that they even if they didn't know they sunk a ship the fact that a warship outside of the harbor you know released depth charges on what they believed to be a Japanese sub and nobody took it seriously afterwards is just absolute insanity. I mean, 
the fact that they just left all the ships, you know, in the harbor and didn't put them out to sea, it, it is just crazy to me. Um, and then the fact that too that a lot of the you know command staff for the entire base uh, were on leave, like golfing, you know, you know, out, you know, visiting their families. Even well, that actually takes a really good kind of turn into what Jordan's asserting is that essentially there was prior information that people knew that Pearl Harbor was going to happen, but didn't do anything about it is a lot of Pacific fleet command was not there. Correct. Uh, just and... a quick point of correction. It was the USS Ward that sunk the Mitch's submarine, not the USS kid. But still, if I if I understand, or at least am basing off the memories of information that I've heard about that, when they dropped depth charges, they didn't know that they sunk it. And they nobody sunk it with took the, the They sunk it with the uh, the four inch deck gun. Yeah. Okay. But still, I mean, yeah, for, nobody for, thought they did it. It was they yeah. thought they were lying about it. It didn't actually happen until they actually found the sub with a four inch projectile hole in the conning tower they're like ah guess they were right which means just just as a quick aside the u.s actually fired the first shot of the pacific theater by the uss ward attacking that sub yep technically i mean even though had they not it wouldn't have really mattered but i mean technically they fired the first shot but the japanese were still the aggressors by putting a japanese sub near a U.S. harbor. It was within U.S. territorial waters, correct? So as far as evidence goes for this, there's actually quite a bit of circumstantial evidence. So some of the first few that I was reading about is what they call eyewitness accounts, um, one of which is by the aide of the Secretary of the Navy, Rear Admiral Frank Edmund Beatty, who made the comments, and I'll quote, prior to December 7th, it was evident, even to me, that we were pushing Japan into a corner. I believed that it was the desire of President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Minister Churchill that we get into the war, as they felt that the Allies could not win without us and all our efforts to cause the Germans to declare war on us failed. The conditions we imposed upon Japan to get out of China, for example, were so severe that we knew that nation could not accept them. We were forcing her so severely that we could have known that she would react toward the United States all her preparations in a military way, and we knew their overall import pointed that way. Well, if I remember right, too, Germany did not want U.S. in, in, the, in the war, period. No, no they, they wanted to ally with Japan so that they had kind of a, what would you, I guess, how would you say that, a Eastern force against the Russians who could yeah. keep them occupied in Manchukuo. But they did not want the United States involved because they could not. They knew about the industrial might. Well, that's the thing, too, like thinking about like the Russians fighting the Japanese. Like that just makes your brain go all squiggly, like giant Cossacks just fighting guys with samurai swords. Like, mm. there's because there's a there's a very, very large border between mm-hmm. China and Russia. Yeah. And there are a lot of military incidents that occurred along the border. 
but mm-hmm. Russia and, and Japan were too occupied to let them escalate into any kind of full-blown war. Right. It was never a full-blown theater, but it's not like there wasn't fighting on that, that border. It just wasn't one that either one really wanted to push. Well, and... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say... Uh, I was going to cite a couple quick facts that a lot of people don't know about, um, but that the Japanese pushed up through some Alaskan islands yeah. and uh, actually mm-hmm. came very close to invading Alaska. And they also sent giant balloons with oh, fire yeah. on them. The over- Battle of Los Angeles. We could do a whole podcast episode on that one. Well, I'm not just talking about the Battle of Los Angeles uh, in a thing of itself. I'm talking about the one casualty that those balloons caused, where they actually blew over and killed a... I think she was... I'm just going to call her a woman, but from what my memory serves, I think she was pregnant at the time, uh, a woman on U.S. soil, um, based on uh, one of those firebombs that uh, the Japanese sent over, and nobody talks about it. Uh, because nobody in America likes to think that we came that close to actually being invaded and we actually had casualties on U.S. soil from the Japanese. Some, somebody Somewhere it was discussed that the United States was also very afraid of going to war with Japan around the time of Pearl Harbor because they knew from a military standpoint if Japanese wanted to invade or had the ability to invade mainly the United States – they wouldn't be able to stop the invasion, I believe, until they hit Chicago. They didn't Holy have enough mobilized troops. Well, really? Why we built the highways? Like they were, you... they weren't built until the fifties, right? Yeah, but, but it gave but, the idea. Yeah, it yeah, gave the right. idea. Eisenhower, he had to transport from the east coast to the west coast. Hated it so much that he built the highway system so they could actually move troops across the United States quicker. So everybody who's listening, remember, when you were driving on the highway, you were driving on something that was inspired because of World War II logistics and home front defense. That is why you were on that, even though we all bitch about that person who's driving super slow in front of us. There's two things about the highways that are unique that come from that is one, they made them have long stretches specifically to be able to land planes on at the time. Uh, as improvised runways and then they also uh, because they had those long stretches they put in curves after ever so many miles uh, because then it would cause people to have to pay attention to the road so they wouldn't fall asleep Um, so every long stretch stretch you're on on a highway is meant to be used as an improvised runway and then every curve there after the long stretch is meant to wake you back up nice yep you know that so another eyewitness account comes from Roosevelt's administrative assistant uh, okay. at the time of Pearl Harbor, Jonathan Daniels, and he is telling about FDR's comment in reaction to the attack. And he quotes as saying, "The blow was heavier than he had hoped it it would necessarily be, but the risks paid off. Even the loss was worth the price." So it comes down to the something's going to happen. I'm going to let it happen. Hopefully, based on other things that we can discuss as far as making sure there weren't as many troops in the area, making sure that the airplanes weren't stacked in hangars to cause more damage. In reality, more deaths were were created that Roosevelt had intended to, based so on this comment. 
what you're saying is that maybe he didn't necessarily know the date or the type of attack, but he knew one was imminent and let it happen anyways by not taking the proper precautions. I think, in my judgment, what this is saying is that he knew where the attack was going to occur. He tried to do what he could to limit the damage once it happened, but it didn't help. It was still a significant amount of loss of life and material damage that he was not expecting. That's kind of what happens when bombs get dropped into the uh, magazine de- compartments of battleships. Yeah, so what, yeah. Wasn't over half of the deaths at Pearl Harbor just from the um, Arizona? The Arizona? Yeah. I think so. I mean, because Arizona was the biggest loss of life, period. Yeah. Um, and it, it, if I remember right, the, the casemate detonated, and it literally caused the ship to jump out of the water and split in half. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's why they could never raise the Arizona either. Right. Is because there's a giant crack down the front front part of the ship where the bomb detonated that if they were to try to raise it, it would just split in two. Yeah, it's the Arizona. I mean, it's still down there and like so still leaking oil. Yes. And it's it's fucked up like it's in pieces. And honestly, trying to move it is going to release more oil and cause more problems than just letting it sit battleships magazine battery all their ammunition for all their guns and you get one airplane with one torpedo or one bomb i forget what it was exactly that lands perfectly amidst all those munitions you know what it reminds me of that meme format of like who's gonna win one of the most expensive battleships that the u.s navy has ever created or one spicy japanese boy Well, uh, like, something that's even crazier is the loss of the um, HMS Hood. Oh, it, yeah, the Hood. It was actually hit from a a deck gun from the Bismarck. Yes. From miles away, happened to land right on the top deck, hit the magazine, and blew up with only five survivors. Yeah. I think that's even crazier than a bomb yeah. being dropped on the Arizona. So have either of you heard of the the incident with the SS uh, Lurline? Not familiar. No. So the SS Lurline was a passenger ship that was sailing on her usual route from Honolulu to San Francisco on December 7th, 1941. Very interesting. Bad time to set sail. The theory, the, the conspiracy suggests that there is evidence that the the ship picked up radio signals from the Japanese fleet that were part of the Pearl Harbor attack force. She relayed these radio signals to the United States Navy, which were then actively ignored. Huh. I've heard about that, actually. I didn't know the name of the ship when you first started talking about it, but I have heard about the story of the radio signals being relayed from Japanese ships in the area and being ignored. Uh, and I again, uh, that kind of goes back to and I think we're all kind of on the same page here that they definitely had some type of knowledge and just failed to act on it yeah. for whatever inconceivable reason that would be. Um, because I've also heard that part of the reason why, it, you know, during World War II, and this this would raise all types of hell today, uh, that they made the move to put 
Japanese citizens in camps, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, that that is not a rumor. That is a legit. They they no. did do that. I did. I didn't mean to like say it that way. What I what I was getting at is like, I know they did it for real, but the the rumor why they did it um, is that because they knew there was Japanese spies uh, on the mainland United States and in Hawaii that was actively relaying information to the Japanese Navy. Um, And the only way that they could potentially stop it was to blanket or blanket court quarantine, basically uh, those Asian individuals, Uh, which super fucked up. But I mean, there is, there is some evidence that there was like at Pearl Harbor, there was some evidence that there uh, Japanese spies and sabotage did take place at that time. Yeah. Because um, there was, and I think it's even referenced in the movie Pearl Harbor, um, which is fantastic by the way. Uh, Not really historically accurate, but it's good. It's a fun movie. It's good. But I think it's referenced in there of, uh, a guy going up in a plane to take pictures of the harbor uh, because he had received a phone call from a Japanese individual on the other end that mm-hmm. had asked him if ships were in port that day. And uh, he took pictures and relayed them. And whether he was a uh, you know a sleeper agent or whatever you'd want to call him, there is evidence that that really did happen, that Japanese citizens really did report that there were ships in port. Well, I mean, it makes sense. But getting so, so with yeah. that the that L- Lorraine ship, I think reading about it, which you might know or not, Dalton. One of the more interesting things about it is the radio operator that served aboard the ship was a U.S. Navy Reserve officer, and I didn't know this till I was reading about it. Is huh. Morse code actually has a very distinct dialect depending on what nationality is using it no we had no idea these systems of uh dots and dashes are actually can be interpreted differently just like you would interpret a different language so the u.s navy officer which his name was leslie grogan who is serving on the ship as the radio man heard these relative bearings morse code transmissions from this mystery fleet Hmm. and could tell based on the dots and dashes that that they were from a Japanese ship, huh. a Japanese group of ships, mm-hmm. and even this was ignored by the Admiralty. Interesting. Did they did they ever give a reason why? No, none that I could hear. It was it was believed, from my understanding, that every bit of information that was relayed about an impending attack on Pearl Harbor was just met with absolute laugh in your face. That's absolutely incredulous. That cannot happen. That will not happen. That's impossible. Nobody would take their fleet all that way. You know, if they did take their fleet all that way, we would definitely have more evidence. Like that was the that was the reactions um, from everybody that this was reported to on all the different amounts of you know information it was just oh yeah haha fuck you that that there's no way that can happen. Uh, hmm. you know. What's even sketchier is the ship's logs of the Lurleen have disappeared. They were collected by 
a lieutenant commander of the 14th Naval District in Honolulu and have since disappeared. Interesting. What is the reasoning behind that? Did they ever they just say they just were like oh we lost it sorry government mishandling of documents i mean that never happens i don't know how that could ever happen this is my little plug that if you ever think the government's on your side they're not <laughs> i just in general i mean you know oh boy we're about to get labeled as a political podcast and a history podcast <laughs> let's move it along boys i i think though that we can all come to a consensus and say that we all think that for better or for worse um, that information was provided and Pearl Harbor was known about and action was not taken. Agreed? Yes. I think I agree. I think the extent of it is that FDR knew the location and planned the location. I wouldn't say planned as in colluded with the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor. Right. But he set up all of his pieces on the board. Option, really. Or to give them too good of an option to pass it up. He pushed him into a corner and then set up the best decoy he could. Well, because if you don't commit enough, you're going to end up in the situation where they're going to realize that you know that they, that. They they know that you know that they know that you know they know you know that they know out there that it sounds like he was the first person ever to play 4D chess. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But like and it you know, so if you if you move everything out of Pearl Harbor, they're gonna be like, Oh, okay, well, like our communications have been intercepted, there's nothing that we can do to get that, you know, back well, essentially as an opportunity, but you have to sacrifice it. And that means you're going to take losses, but, and that also makes sense. And this is going super conspiracy, but this is what we're talking about. It's a conspiracy that they knew would be, um, that essentially the carriers weren't there. And given, maybe we didn't rely on carriers as much immediately, but, but they, they were, no, they were stationed somewhere completely different. Well, two of them had orders to deliver airplanes to Midway Island, and I don't remember where the third was, but they yeah, had... they were somewhere completely different. They were sent away on missions. Like that seems really convenient that not a single one was ever there. Little ships were in port, just hanging out. Yeah. Well, well and I... much like the British learned in the Battle of Gallipoli. Um, if you give old boat captains orders to just sail down a mined path, they will say, no, fuck you, I will not do that, and instead try to land and be like, I want to protect my old ironclad ship. Um, so why not just have them bombed so that way you don't have to deal with people doing stupid stuff outside of your orders? Agreed. I guess. I mean, I, I definitely full-on think that if there was the perfect way to enter a war without being the bad guy for entering the war, this was it. I think the U.S. was going to enter the war inevitably. They would have yeah, entered the war somehow. Perception, you know, this kept public perception 
in in the hey we're america we're gonna go fuck these people up that attacked us because screw them well Nobody yeah attacks america where if we would have said like hey we're uh gonna go fight these germans because the british asked us to um i feel like americans would definitely be like well, no. yeah, and, because... and, if, and if um if you're looking at from the perspective of the United States knew at the time they did not have the manpower or the resources to fight a war, mm-hmm. what's the best way to get that? Be attacked, have a large chunk of your navy destroyed, and use that fear and anger to sell war bonds. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and to and recruit. You know, increase public opinion uh, for the support of the war. Well, because at that point in time, it doesn't become a war. It becomes a holy reckoning where you are smiting a literally evil foe that has, you know, attacked and killed your people unprovoked. Um, it becomes more of a crusade and less of a conflict. Yeah, yes. I, 100% I agree with that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about it. I think I think it's just sketchy as all hell, and um, but I think it worked out in the perfect manner. I mean, yeah, these, I mean these things have happened before; they'll happen again, and they've you know, happened. They've happened again already. Maybe hindsight is always twenty twenty. You know, I always think like we're talking about all this now, but your average American in nineteen forty one, did they really know how bad the Japanese had it in their embargo? Did they really know how much the United States wanted to go to war? And well, I mean, absolutely not. They didn't. It was the middle of the Great Depression, too. Yeah. World like, War II is what brought us out of it. Yeah. Yep. The the amount of manufacturing and industrialization that happened during World War II, it was the I hate saying it, but conflict was the cure for the disease of the Great Depression. Like when what fifty percent of your population has to go fight. It leaves a lot of open jobs. It does. I, mean, I hate to say this, but like, for the most part, if you look at history, there is a war and then a great leap forward. And then some terrible shit happens and there's a war and there's a great leap forward. Sometimes. I mean, it's just, for the most part, though, it's how human civilization has advanced throughout the ages is like terrible atrocity war terrible atrocity war rinse and repeat well if you look at technology you know conflict is what really stems technological growth necessity is the mother of invention how many new inventions how many new technologies came out of world war ii how many came out of how many came out of World War One that were then later used in World War Two to greater effects and to greater understanding? At the end of World War Two, you can kind of see what all the way advancing into even the 80s is going to look like, what the mindset's going to be at that point. And literally the whole way that we're even having this podcast has came from inventions that were starting to be realized at the end of World War Two due to the massive amount of government spending in the war area and what the scientists and engineers were doing for the war effort to advance, you know, human society has literally led us to being able to have this podcast today. Well, and yeah, I mean, part of it, you have like 
broadband internet and all that sort of stuff. That is because of frequency hopping, which was, I think, if I remembered correctly, uh, developed during World War II, if my memory serves me right. The internet and the GPS were developed for the military and then provided to us. Mm-hmm. Um, Hedy Lamar, that's who it was, played a very important part in the development of frequency hopping, which has allowed us to have the internet for us to be able to have, or essentially wireless internet. Well, so, I, I mean, mean, was it a terrible thing for FDR to let real, like Pearl Harbor happen? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> Did some interesting things come out of it? Certainly. Am I the person to get to say that one was worth the other? Absolutely not. I mean, we're a conspiracy theory podcast, but you de- you definitely can look at World War II, see what led up to it, where Jordan started in the early 1930s, to the end of it, and then where we are today. And if you were an insanely smart individual of the 1940s, 1950s, and Ford, what we're living today was probably what they were dreaming about conceptually. And now we have Kawaii in Japan. Super Kawaii. Anime is sweet, okay. I'm sorry, Japan had to get nuked so we could have anime, but like that was kind of cool. <laughs> yes, <sighs> and, and now now we have to deal with Uwu. 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 Ugh. Specifically came out of Japan due to the laws and sanctions that the U.S. placed on the Japanese people after World War II. On a yeah. similar note, do you know why the Japanese <laughs> have a very high affinity for Disney? Uh, no, actually, I don't. So during the Japanese occupation, or the, the U.S. occupation of Japan, immediately post-World War II into the early 1950s, one of the first forms of television they were allowed to consume were Disney movies and Disney TV and Disney shorts. Interesting. So Hmm. ever since then, that's why if you ever go to Tokyo Disneyland, it is a direct copy of the Magic Kingdom because that's what the Japanese wanted, the exact Disney experience in Japan. Huh. I just like to put this out here because it is a known fact, but I'll still add an allegedly in there just in case. Um, but allegedly, it's an allegedly, it's an allegedly known fact. Go on. It's an allegedly known fact. Um, Henry Ford was an absolute anti-Semite Nazi sympathizer. No, that, that is not alleged. That is a, that is a fact. fact. That is a hundred percent. That is a legit fact. fact. And he That's can I, his I, bones consume me all he wants. He he has a letter from like, Adolf uh, Hitler yeah, in in the museum of the Henry Ford Museum. I, guys, I was just trying to protect the podcast. No, no, fuck it. Sue us. Yeah. Sue, sue or, me, Henry or, Ford. Or, sue me. I I will see your dead ass in court. Like you Nazi loving asshole. Like, mm. it, it, you know what's funny, and we could again, we we could end this podcast and do an entire another episode on it. But the amount of large U.S. corporations and heads of large U.S. corporations that were either Japanese or German Nazi sympathizers during World War II is absolutely insane. And even if they weren't directly like 
say sympathizing with them they definitely played both sides of the war i mean ibm it's again it's another known fact that i'll throw an allegedly in there for <laughs> that ibm literally helped orchestrate the holocaust by using their punch card system and giving it to the nazis uh so you know I mean, like, if you walk into nasa in the 1950s and say hell hitler they'll all stand up so like yeah that's actually probably not even probably that's Werner von Braun, who was the Thank father you, of the Aubrey. Apollo program. I, I just, you know, I just wanted to like imagine that they're like sitting there trying to get the, you know, first manned spacecraft in flight, and there's like this American scientist sitting there saying, "No, no, Werner, we don't need to put the the symbols on there." But how will we channel the real energy to send the rocket into space? No, 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 you cannot put swastikas all over it. But why not? No, just because just we have no. Math. We have math. <laughs> because it there's no real energy, Werner. To flip back though, because we're not really doing a German podcast, even though we keep like absolutely. Oh, we're just we're we're all over it. I think this. I think this it's podcast... okay to shit on Nazis. <laughs> Wait, um, is there a time where it wasn't okay to shit on Nazis? I mean, if you're Henry Ford, I guess never. But you know, no, that's true. Real quick, right? Would you guys consider it a war crime? Yes. 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 Just yes. On the U.S. soil and not do anything about it. Because does that bring up the age-old fact that it's only a war crime if you lose? It's only a war crime if you didn't have a good time. It's only a war crime if you lose. That is accurate. Yeah, well, that's called victor's justice. That is a legitimate thing. Yeah, because Um, if you knew that there was an attack on Pearl Harbor pending to happen... And you didn't take affirmative action to negate any loss of life. I mean, regardless of the outcome, regardless of where it's put us today, regardless of how it affected World War II, regardless of anything else other than the fact that thousands of people died that day. You could argue that, you know, um, Nixon and Johnson committed a war crime with Vietnam and George W. Bush and Cheney committed a war crime with Iraq, which I would also support well, both of those Absolutely, but I mean this kind of this kind of doesn't this kind of set the precedence for that? Well, um, I mean not really. I mean it's different. I mean, ideas. We're going farther back. The USS Maine was a probably a false flag operation to get us involved in the Spanish American War. Yeah. That where, what was it, a boat exploded right next to the USS Maine? It's not a false flag. The USS Maine exploded. And it was in the in harbor the there in harbor Cuba, right? In Cuba. And yeah. more than likely, the coal bunker ignited and exploded, but the United States government blamed the Spanish and used it as justification to start the Spanish-American War. Yep. And I mean, I mean, our namesake, JFK, I mean, you could consider his assassination a false flag, you know. I mean, it wasn't a false flag. We've talked about this episode before. Guys, just go back and listen to our JFK uh, podcast episode. Yeah. Um, our first JFK one that we did. One. Yeah, the JFK specific one. It's further down. Um, yeah, we've already done that one. Yeah, I know we've we already talked, talked about this. I know we talked about it, but I seriously do think that, I mean, like, he was definitely pro, like, pro, hey, let's not commit false flag attack and war crime. I mean, we'll and just... ended up dead. We, we kind of talked about that a little bit and things that could have led up to it in that episode. So, guys, just go back and listen to it and we'll we'll leave you on that one. What, what is your on, stance on Pearl Harbor? 
on on that case of oh okay so closing statements closing statements yeah. so who wants to start i'll start yeah, so in my, in my opinion um i believe that franklin roosevelt knew an attack was imminent knew it would occur at Pearl harbor did not know exactly when and did not know exactly how he did his best to limit damage unsuccessfully but succeeded in engaging us in World War II. Okay, and then the question that I would like an answer from for you and everybody who's going to do a closing statement is, do you think it was the right or wrong thing to do? Do I? Yes. Yes, we'll just say yes. I think if that is what was needed to stop the Axis powers, then yes, it was the right thing to do. Okay, interesting. Cody, would you like to, to go? Yeah. So I'm going to essentially echo exactly what Jordan said. I think FDDR and most of military high command at that point in time probably knew it was coming. Probably knew the general where, again, not necessarily the when, but and because there's there's a lot of things that really kind of like you've got a net in front of the, the, the harbor. I don't know how standard of practice that is Navy doctrine wise, but at that time. You, you've got the most of, of the command staff on vacation, away from the harbor. They're not there. Most of the people that were lost, I hate saying it, but were just run-of-the-mill seamen who could easily be replaced. You know, you have battleships getting blown up. Most of them were crippled, but not completely destroyed. Minus, like, a few ships like the Arizona and stuff like that that were just totally wrecked. Carriers are gone. There's too much that says that this was not necessarily something that wasn't already planned to kind of happen. So I would say knew it was going to happen. Do I agree with it? That's an interesting take. Um, I think based at the time um, with American anti-war sentiment, I think you needed something like this to happen. I don't think we would have gotten involved in World War II unless there was something that made us get involved. Had we waited much longer and England had fallen and Germany could have focused all its attention on Russia like they had wanted to, I think that we would be in a very tough spot at that point. I think that might have been too late for us to get involved and actually do something of sincere and genuine merit. So I think we needed to get involved around the time that we did. And I think had it not happened, we might see a very different ending to World War II than what we saw. Okay. So, but to to kind of direct a point at you, would you have made the same call? Um, you know, I, I don't like saying yes or no to those types of questions, just because as like a armchair historian it's really hard to put myself in those shoes and, and make that call with any serious thought to it. And I think that does a major disservice to it, but I would say clearly that sounded like that was the best call at the time. Okay. Fair. So I, I, that's as much of a yes as you're going to get out of me. Absolutely. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. It's highly circumstantial. I feel, uh, I feel very judgmental saying yes or no, either way, again, as an armchair historian. Gotcha. Well, where I stand on it is I'm going to beat a dead horse and say that I agree with both of you. Uh, <laughs> ah, I, yes, I, the podcast where we all agree with each other. I absolutely think that information had been provided to state that 
an attack from the Japanese was coming. Um, where it was coming to, uh, I don't think they necessarily knew, and I don't think they necessarily knew when, but they knew enough to put everybody there or to space everybody out in a way that w- wouldn't panic everybody, you know, and, and raise concern. Uh, and so I think they did their absolute best to midgetate the losses and the, uh, you know, the outright casualties and, and loss of material. But at the end of the day, I think that it was the wrong thing to do. And if I was in the same situation, I can't obviously say for certain because it, it is highly circumstantial, but I would like to think that I would have chosen not to make that call, uh, to to find a different way to handle the situation other than accepting potential large amounts of loss of life, knowing I had enough information to act in a more defensive manner um and that is where i stand on it i think they had enough information to take a significantly more defensive stance and they chose not to interesting very i kind of see your point but I'm I'm not sure I fully understand. You know somebody's gonna punch you in the face. Would you not absolutely do everything you can to protect yourself from that punch and then fight back once it's thrown? I I can't find a scenario in my head, which I know this probably sounds crazy to you guys as people that know me but I can't find a scenario in my head that's like, yeah, I'll eat that. Like, I'll I'll take that hit. Like, it's fine. I'll come back from it later. Well, I I think it's interesting. Like, the one part of me kind of says, like, if you kind of like Pearl Harbor, right? Or not Pearl Harbor, but uh, D-Day. D-Day landing is is fascinating, and I don't want to get super into the topic just because we're like coming up on time, but like Craig is over here tapping his watch and just being, you know, Craig's ugly, very, uh, grumpy looks. Manager. He is. He really is. He's. He's just. Ugh. Yeah, Craig is Craig. But like, there was a whole like a lot. Words. Words are hard. There was a great deal of. Sorry. There was a great deal. Of, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, we chose to nuke the Japanese mainland because we calculated that the loss of life of invading them would be too high. So where did we get this sudden no, world? We chose, to, we chose to nuke the Japanese mainland to scare the Soviets into submission. I, I mean, I guess you, you can say that, but the official documentation states that we chose to nuke the Japanese mainland because we saw that the loss of life of American servicemen from invading the Japanese mainland would be too high. So where did we get this sudden moral compass at for the loss of life of American servicemen at the end of the war when we had nuclear power and not at the beginning of the war when we could have chose to enter it a different way? Actually, we had nukes under FDR. After FDR died... Um... Fuck, I'm blanking on the president. Um, Truman. Yes, Truman is the one who decided to drop the bombs. I believe 
I could be wrong, and I'm sure so if that, there's a listener who is much more of an armchair historian than I am, um, is probably going to correct us and be like, oh, well, you know, FDR knew they were in development, but like, what's that? No. No, <laughs> um, actually. actually, but like FDR chose not to, from my understanding, to my best of my memory, uh, able to recall from what I've read. Um, in the because past. we were trying, we were moving on to the Cold War, and they needed to scare the Soviets, right? And they wanted it for posturing, not necessarily for use. It was something they were like, "This is really scary. We probably shouldn't use these." But then Truman was like, "Uh, loss of life. Uh, yeah, yeah, too high. Let's uh, let's drop that." Also, I see you, Soviet Russia, because at that point in time, we were the two big manufacturing kids on the block. Well, if I remember correctly, too, military intelligence was that the Japanese were planning to um, planning to surrender regardless of the bombs or not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess my point that I was making with all of that, though, is just the thing, I guess, that you know, I'm going to go so anti-government on this, but to make it digestible, my whole thing is just if you know that there's going to be loss of life and you can prevent it, prevent it, you know, whether that's to be extremely aggressive or to just set up a good defense and, you well, know, okay. Let me, like, let me counter with this real quick. Right. And this is what I was trying to make with D day. Um, is that if you start positioning all your pieces here, knowing that there's going to be an attack on Pearl Harbor, you, you, set up every defense in the world you set up the whole hawaiian island chain like this giant fortress of a place that all of a sudden becomes a target that you don't really want to hit anymore and if you don't hit that target then we may not get into world war ii until much much later super hot topic the mic just all just got quiet right there but like i firmly think that we may not be I, I don't know where we would be technological wise if we hadn't got into World War II and had the war machine advancements but I totally stand on the side that I would have been okay if we never got involved in World War One or World War II personally I don't think that would be possible I don't I agree with we're Jordan too interconnected it was going to happen regardless yeah like there was, there was no way we weren't going to get involved with no, World I'm War II I'm not necessarily looking at it as from a way of like what you guys are saying. There's no way we couldn't get involved and we aren't uh, or we were too interconnected. I'm just looking at it from a personal standpoint based on where my morals lie. And if I was in that circumstance, and I, I just don't think it was I just don't think it was necessary. All right. I think we've gone on a very, we, very long journey. Yes, We're going to wrap this up here because we could probably have another hour long conversation on this. We can probably have a drinking game with the fans that whenever somebody says um, real quick, take a real drink quick. and yes. you're going to die of alcohol poisoning <laughs> before you end the podcast. Yes, indeed you will. I, I think um, each of us have said it about a dozen times. I, I, like I thing real quick and say that. If okay. Okay. Drink, every if time we get off countering. Is gonna also become a drinking thing. Hey, real quick, real quick. Can we? Can, oh my god, we need to make bingo cards. We need, we need to make bingo <laughs> cards. Oh fuck, yes. I'm making this. This is gonna become a thing. They say, um, real quick. How many times did they cut somebody off? How many times did they, you know, get off topic from the original conversation? How long did each one, or like, when did all three of them start talking over each other? 
here's another game is you have to find the the widest range of topics we talked about from from one side to the other what is the widest range we talked about oh this one's gonna be this one's gonna be real difficult then yeah. also i'm gonna quickly plug just a thing um in the like description of every single episode if you've made it this far also god help you if you've made it this far um <laughs> god, god be with you because god has has left this part of the podcast episode it seems in each one of the descriptions there's a link to our anchor fm page you can go and send us a voice message or voicemail of question or statement declarative or demeaning or whatever you feel is in your heart that you want to share with us, that you want us to listen to and talk about on the episode, send in questions. We'll do, we'll do mailbags. Um, rated only. What's that? X rated only. X rated only. Yes. It, if, if there's, if there's anything else, I will be disappointed because we're probably not hitting our, our desired population of, of people then. Yeah, I feel like we're just going to get a bunch of voicemails. It's just people screaming into a microphone. And we'll be like, that was an excellent statement. I rebuttal with just <laughs> screaming it back. Yes. You know? um, so, uh, but yeah, like, so feel free to message us on there. Um, I just want to plug that because that is a thing. And I think that's a really cool thing that Anchor offers. So message us, ask us questions. We'll answer it to the best of our incomprehensible ability. Final thing for you. Jesus, dad how many advice. final things are we going to do? Yeah, dad advice, and then we're done. Okay. Dad Our dad yep. advice we have to do at the end of every episode. Yep. Jordan, it was your episode. You go we first. We did it last episode. Yeah, we did. Jordan did we? started if yeah. we didn't do it. But uh, I, I think, think we, we did. did. No, we, we 100% did because mine was, uh, remember, it was like that when we got here. So, because That's I right. did the editing, and I remember it was there. <laughs> All right, Jordan, it was your episode. Start with your dad advice. Oh, my, my dad advice. What is my dad advice for today? Oh, my dad advice is to make sure if you're replacing outlets in the nurseries that all the sockets are on the same circuit and one's not and you shock the shit out of yourself. <laughs> that sounds like dad experience that's a that's a good life advice make sure everything's on the same circuit before you shock the shit out of yourself pretty much yep there you go you can have that for free all, all right, right dalton you're up okay fine i'll go um i i'm kind of kind of echo jordan here and i i want to say that i had this idea before i heard him give his but you never know it will hurt until you do it so if you're gonna jump off the cliff it might be great it might not did, did we just advocate for people jumping off cliffs? <laughs> Suicide Fuck. pact! Alright, all three of us just link arms. We're going over together. I mean, Alright. I guess um, that's more of a uh, metaphysical like ideological standpoint, but I mean, if you're gonna physically jump off a cliff, you never know. It might be fun, it might not be. You'll find out if it hurts at the bottom. You're, you're mm. not wrong. It's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop at the end. Not the All destination, right. it's the journey. It's the friends you make along the way. All right, so dad advice, be kind to each other. The You know, honestly, we can sum up 2020 and 2021 with kindness is hard, so be kind. Be excellent to each other, as, no, Ted, no, as Bill and Ted would say. Not, not be excellent, that's too cheesy. Be kind. Kindness costs you nothing, and it might mean the world to someone else. So be kind to each other out there. Even if that person's mean to you first. 
even if they're mean to you first. Even if they need your oil and you're stopping them from doing it, you know? Yeah. Just remember kindness is hard and it costs you nothing to give it. So be kind, call that friend that you haven't heard from in a long time, text them, see if they're doing okay. They're going to attack a Harbor Report it. Yes. Yes. Report that always. So you see midget subs in your front yard. Just know something bigger is coming down the pipe later. If you see midget subs, make sure you apply much deck gun. If it's still not sunk, apply more deck gun. All right. And you see midget subs, get your money back from a subway because they cheated you. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Oof. oof. So with that, I will be hosting the next one. And I've got some much spooky plans and some very fun topics. Spooky's good. Spooky's good. All right. See you guys. Anybody want to plug anything before we we finally sign off? Just cut this off. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, we're we're getting we're getting down votes. I don't know how they figured it out. Craig Craig is screaming right now. He's like, you guys are stop. No, Craig. No, no. I'll Craig. Craig's getting an axe. Why does he have an axe? Square bullets, guys. Should Square have... bullets make round holes. Let's go.